I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Pepe Cola is in his mid-80s today and functionally blind. He is also one of the people who literally defined Barolo as we understand it today, both in his work for several decades at the Prunotto Winery, where he was one of the very first to release a single vineyard Barolo, actually quite a few of those, and in his contribution to the Appalachian rules for the region as a whole. At the time, when there were only a handful of trained enologists working in the Piemonte, Cola was a key figure, and he was a pivotal one for the place. He has also been very open all throughout his career about what he does and what he knows. This is author and critic Michael Garner, who wrote the book Barolo, Tar, and Roses, on his early impressions of Beppe Cola. Yeah, we learned a lot from him, and he was very, very frank, very open, and very honest with us. You know, he admitted that uh, part way through his winemaking career, he learned there was something called the malolactic fermentation, and uh, he was—he didn't try and hide that. And uh, that was a characteristic which, at the time, perhaps wasn't that common. A lot of Langaroli back then were very closed, and you know, didn't really uh, didn't really want to sort of share too much with people. But he was—he was quite the opposite. One of the things that makes Beppe Cola so unique today is that while the Piemonte has changed a great deal, there are very few people living who can talk about the vintages of the 1950s with any sort of first-hand detail. But beyond the conditions of those harvests, Cola can also speak to the conditions of the time in that place. This is cartographer and writer Alessandro Masnaghetti on why he values Beppe Cola so much. The most important thing about Beppe is that he can tell you a story about wine, yes, but he can tell you even more stories about people and tradition. And this is the most important thing, because he is a living heritage, (laughs) and you cannot understand that style of wine without thinking at that era, at that age, what were the relationship between human being, between the owner and the peasant? Wow, it was, you cannot understand the wine if you do not 
know this human relation. I was very lucky to sit with Pepe Cola for this conversation. Unfortunately, there were some technical difficulties, particularly involving some crickets chirping outside the window, and you can sometimes hear them during parts of this interview. I'm sorry we weren't able to capture a more pristine sound for you, but I know what Pepe Cola had to say will still resonate. Pepe Cola's daughter Federica kindly served as the translator for this interview. Pepe Cola on the show today, longtime co-owner and winemaker at Prunoto, and also a member of Poderi Cola. So you were born in 1930. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm so old. So your childhood was during the war period. My father says that uh, he is quite, uh, in a certain way, terrified because he was uh, living during the Second World War. And in this area, the Second World War was very tough. And uh, he he's uh, frightened because uh, he's, to him it seemed that we are not so far from another world war. And he's scared by this because uh, he remembered perfectly what he was living at the time. And he said that uh, when uh, the, the, the war ended, he was uh, 15, 16 years old. And uh, the most important uh, willing he had was to be able to eat as much as he could of a white bread. Because the bread that he was eating during the war was so bad but there was ending so, such a small amount that the first things he was thinking when he heard the, the, the radio, the war is finished, okay, now I can eat as much as I want. You started working in 1948-49 in the wineries. La, la mia famiglia è sempre stata nel vino, però nel vino moscato, quindi io col parolo barbaresco del viola, eccetera, my father started working at the end of a neurological school in the 49 and, uh, and he changed completely his mind and his philosophy because uh, uh, our family, his family, came from the Moscato area. But then when he finished the high school, he moved to Alba. So he moved from the Moscato to the great red wine like Barolo, Barbaresco. So changing completely the, the view, the idea, the, everything, the spirits. And he found out another world. So he's originally from the Asti zone. Santo Stefano Belbo. So from the hearth of the great Moscato. And what was analogy school like at that time? La metta come vuole di avere... All'ultimo anno dell'enologica, quindi 45-46, una donna iscritta al corso, perché fino allora mai nessuna ragazza, mai nessuna donna era stata iscritta all'enologica. All'enologica erano tutti maschi. This high school was completely different from now. First of all, there were few, few persons uh, attending the school. Now there are hundreds of people. And at the time, there were graduated each year three or four people maximum. 
and uh, the school life was completely different. And he had the, the chance of meeting the first women going to this high school that uh, was uh, Italian by the race, uh, the, 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 the Rustock, but she came from uh, California. She was uh, part of the family of Pio, Pio Boffa, that is uh, the, the winery in Alba. And she came here because uh, they had a, a cellar, a one, a, they were one making, but the, the husband died in an accident. And so she came down for understanding how to manage the, the family business. She was the first Dolly Pio, the first woman going to school uh, in a completely man school. <laughs> and why did you decide to take wine as a career? La mia aspirazione da bambino era fare l'enologico, perché allora l'enologico la faceva pochissimi, perché mancava. When he was a child, his ambition was to attend in this high school, the enological school, because at that time it was something like making university. Uh, few people were able to do that because it was quite expensive. And what was the winery that you worked at first? Il problema del vino in quel periodo, il vino in Italia in quel periodo, era il periodo medioevo del vino, perché era una cosa che è sempre stata, si è sempre fatto, si curava relativamente, e l'esportazione non esisteva, il confronto... His first uh, um, experiment has been made in, uh, in a big winery, at the time, big one at the time, Bonardi, when he was uh, hired as a winemaker. And at 19 years old, and was a big uh, things for a 19 years old man. And he was uh, the in, in charge of all the wine of this uh, of this winery. And he started so with all the wine, but in particular for Barolo. And uh, he found out uh, at the time the wine world in uh, in Italy, in Piemonte in particular, was the mid the Middle Age, really the Middle Age, because things were so, so different, so far, so uh, nobody was taking real care about wine. Uh, wine was something normal for Italy, because in every place the people was making wine, but just for drinking every day, without no attention, without no passion. And uh, he had the chance at the time of making the first uh, trip to France, and he found out that uh, things have to be changed some, in some way, but have to be changed, because we had... Uh, some great uh, heritage, but uh, completely unknown, completely not, uh, not used in the right way. So when did you go to France? In what year? 1953. 53, the first year in 53. At that time, France was Burgundy. Then Champagne. Esisteva per i ricchi, eh, ma il vino francese importante era San Borgogna. The great wine at the time was Burgundy. Bordeaux was just for very, very rich people. E oltretutto la Borgogna aveva una similitudine con la, con la, la Langa. E la Borgogna è fatta con un vitigno solo. Teoricamente dovrebbe essere per il Barolo, e invece Bordeaux è già un misto di vini. When he started going to France in, uh, in Burgundy in, in 53, then he kept going there different years, and he found down this new philosophy of making wine, a new way of approaching wine. And what he's saying that uh, is not that he brought Burgundy style here, 
he just found out some ideas and uh, had to adapt this idea to our area because it's, it's not correct to uh, just take and remade in the same way. Uh, he found out that the, the situation, the area was similar to Piemonte, to Lange. The wine were made with just one variety in Burgundy, like in Piemonte. The people here is very similar to Burgundy people. But uh, the important thing is to, to be clever and so attentive to adapt the, the two situations to different ways. And he was working in, the, in this way for different years. What he's saying the last time now is that uh, now he's a little bit scared because at the time people were not attentive to our wine. People of the area were not attentive, not proud of what, what they were doing. And now on the opposite, a lot of people, producers, winemakers of the area now are too much proud, a little bit too, considering themselves too much higher compared to all the rest. We are the best. And this is very it's terrific and it's very, very dangerous because it's the, it's the way for making big disaster. And what were some of the visits that you took in Burgundy? Are there people or sellers that you remember in particular that were influential? E abbiamo anche adesso in Svizzera, che importa... Trappè? Trappè. Trappè. Ma bisogna raccontare il fatto sì. come è arrivato. Tu lo sai? Sì, lo so come è. Allora. All, the, all the producers he met were important for him. But in particular something shocked in the right way. Once he had the chance of visiting a great winery, still a great winery now, Trappè, and uh, he was, uh, the situation was that the day before they went to Romane Conti and they tried the wine of Romane Conti. Okay, the day after, they asked to Romane Conti some places to go to visit for tasting the wine. And they gave them different names. One was Trappé. The second day they went to Trappé and they tried the wine. And my father made a great mistake, thinking that it was a, a great honor to tell him that uh, to me, what I'm trying now is better than what I tried yesterday. So Mr. Trappé was really hungry with him. And he couldn't understand why, because I said, okay, but if I tell you that are as much as good as the best wine considered in the world, why you are so hungry with me? And Mr. Trappé didn't want to explain to him why. The day after, they met some other people, and uh, they asked uh, if they could explain it the situation and they said of course because here there is a line there is the top and then there are other people that are under this top and if you say that uh, this line is incorrect you can destroy all the system and uh, that was something amazing for him because being Italian being uh, very indi individualist if he, in Italy you do the same things everybody will say oh if you say to me that I'm better than the best one it's true it is correct, you are right. In France, they had, and it's something that we have to understand and to reply, they have this uh, idea of uh, different stage and uh, you don't have to move this stage, otherwise everything collapses down. And it is a little bit like in, in, uh, for us, uh, when people don't understand that uh, a table one can cost more than the DOC or DOCG, it can be better. In another situation, cannot be. 
my father was shocked because he understood that they were so proud of what they had that nobody would uh, try to destroy this, uh, this system. E ricose la cosa noi, la cosa, che più mi è rimasta impressa e che io ho tentato, in parte ci sono riuscito qui, è l'applicazione dei CRU. Perché mentre qui, prima, il parolo si faceva assommando diverse UE, The most important thing that uh, he uh, brought from France and tried and succeeded in, uh, in making in, uh, in the language was to create the crew. Because at that time, uh, the, 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 the tradition was to make uh, all the wine, Barolo, Barbaresco, Nebbiolo, making a blend of different areas for all, all having always the same quality. And uh, in, in France, in Burgundy, it was exactly the opposite because they started from the, from the producing area Uh, for producing the wine with that grape in that area and putting the name of the area on the label. My father, having the chance of working for uh, this big uh, winery, Bonardi, that uh, was uh, producing all the wine from all, all, all the Lange area, uh, he could vinify the, all the crew and he found out they choose the, the best position of each area, like uh, Canubi, like uh, Bussia, like uh, Montestefano and so on. Uh, for producing single vineyard crew wine. And the first vintage he produced was in 61, in which he put the crew name on the label. When he did that, uh, he was almost killed. Uh, all the great producers at the time uh, looking at him like, uh, like a monster because they were, he was going against the tradition. Uh, but that was something that lasted very shortly because after a few years, uh, little by little, one after the other, starting making uh, their crew uh, wine, And we arrived to the situation of today in which, uh, unfortunately, as he say, there are, we are overcrowded of, with too many crew names. Uh, that, that most of the time that doesn't really mean uh, equality area. Reggiano una zona buona, che adesso è un grande vino, e che, allora, vinificandolo da parte rispetto a un altro, nel tempo vedevi che questo era meglio di quello là, anche se magari in partenza non credevi. Quindi è il problema di provare, di, di, di sperimentare, di... bisogna credere in quello che fai mm. e non sperare che tutti i vini che fai siano buoni. Of course, at the beginning he was more on blending different, because that was a tradition, he started, he was studying that and the, 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 the tradition was like that, and then little by little trying, because uh, he, during his life he tried all the new things. In moment in which, uh, like, like the barrique, like the fermentation, like a lot of things, when all the other people did neither know about that, he was experimenting that for deciding if it was worth or not. Little by little, then he was um, focusing on this single vineyard only because on, for all his life he was looking for the, the highest quality. And the highest quality is only in that direction. In 1961, you were working at Prunotto which you had been a part of the purchase of after Alfredo Pronoto had converted it from a cooperative into a, a producer. And how did you make that move from Bernardi to Pronoto? What happened that you ended up at Pronoto? No, Bernardi, purtroppo, come azienda, non andava molto bene finanziariamente. E allora Pronoto era una bellina, era un'azienda molto più piccola, ma molto più importante 
non aveva famiglia, lui era malato, era vecchio, eccetera, eccetera, voleva eccetera l'azienda e in quel periodo il vino voleva. Bonardi at the time was not going very, very well and uh, Brunotti instead was a, a much smaller winery, uh, re- very renowned, but the owner was quite old, not very, in very good uh, shape, not in very good health. He had only two girls uh, that he didn't want to keep going and keep making the, the job. So he offered the, the winery to my father, creating a good situation for him because my father was without any money. <laughs> he had to, to ask uh, uh, to the bank. But uh, given that Mr. Pronotto was uh, really uh, in good relation with him, I tried uh, in all the way to give the winery to my father. So he started from nothing, from zero, from below zero, and uh, with Pronotto, with a smaller winery, but uh, in a way that he could do what he really wanted to do. And in what year did you start at Pronotto? 56. 56. Started in 56. And what had the vintages of the 40s and 50s been like? The At the time, it was very, very difficult to work in the vineyard and in the cellar because the weather was very, very bad, not like today. The great majority of the time, the, the, the weather was very bad. And uh, so there were the great majority bad, some medium and maybe one very good. Things uh, were going this way until the 76-78. For example, Pronotto... Era un uomo molto intelligente, molto preparato nel vino, ma al modo di allora. Cioè lui andava avanti per esperienza e, e mi ha insegnato tante cose, tra cui la cosa più importante che ancora oggi dico a tutti e tutti i giovani, non ce n'è uno che lo sappia, He had the chance of working with Mr. Prunotto. He was a very clever uh, and a very connoisseur people because he had a lot of experience. And he teach him, he taught him a very a lot of things that were really practical. Like uh, once he came from a school, uh, so he knew the latest important things of the school. And he was going around uh, with the Mr. Prunotto for checking the, the, the grapes because also at the time... Pronotto didn't have any vines, any vineyard. Uh, he was buying all the grapes and they were going around for deciding where to buy and when to harvest. And uh, at a certain moment, my father took out uh, a jack and uh, Mr. Pronotto uh, asked him, what is it? It's a jack. What is it for? It's for checking the, the sugar. This device was a refractometer and Mr. Prunotto didn't know what it was for. My father explained to him, this is for checking the sugar, the, the, the devil of sugar. And he said, what? What's for? That's amazing. Throw it away. You don't need that. There is a very simple way to, to check the, the sugar. I'm not talking about all the, the analysis that we are doing now that my father is against, <laughs> of course. You just go into the vineyard. You take a lot of, of berries, uh, 20, 30 berries. When the, the jack that uh, comes attached to the, to the steam remains as red as possible, that means that the, the biolo is, uh, is ripe for being harvested. 
And my father says that, in fact, it's correct. Uh, aside all the, the analysis, this is the last visual analysis you can make, and it's always true. And what was Mr. Pernotto like as a person? Molto intelligente, superiore alla media delle persone. Era capace di capire al volo cosa c'era di buono o di cattivo di una persona. Al volo parlava cinque minuti con una persona, poi diceva lasciala andare perché non va bene. Oppure diceva no, prendila perché primi. Mr. Pronotto was a very clever person uh, and he had a great experience in the Barolo area because he was working he, before when he was young, went to work for the major winery in, in Barolo, Monforte, Serralunga. Uh, and then uh, he had the chance of going to also to work to Pio, Pio Winery, and there he married one of the daughters. That was a bad thing or a good thing in the sense that uh, at the time Pio was already a, one of the biggest and most famous, most uh, aristocratic family in Alba with a lot of money and Mr. Prunotto, no. So uh, they, they, they disliked this uh, marriage. So he decided to give his part to the daughter. And the part they gave, the money they gave to the daughter was very, very big for the moment. And so they, Mr. Pronotto had the chance of starting this winery with the part of his, uh, his wife. And they was in competition, and they started a competition with Pio, a certain kind of competition. Pio is the oldest uh, winery in, the, in Alba. So 1961 comes, and... You declared the Busia and the Montestefano and the Pian Ramondolo. And why did you make that decision? I understand that Burgundy and the Cruz was influential, but why that particular year? And what was your thinking at the time? Innanzitutto, per partire con i Cru, bisogna conoscere i Cru. Perché se tu non conosci quella terra, cosa ti dà, cosa vuoi fare? E allora, lì un po' di, po di anni. L'esperienza di Prunotto, perché questa è la sua importanza, l'esperienza di un mediatore di UE di Monforte, Soletto, mi hanno fatto che mi hanno aiutato a individuare le zone migliori per fare il Cru. In 61, uh, he was, uh, we can say, the end of a long uh, history behind because uh, he arrived uh, deciding uh, to making the, the crew, the single crew, after his experience at Bonardi, after his uh, first experience with, uh, with Pronotto because of the great experience of Mr. Pronotto himself. Uh, it took a while for vinifying by himself uh, this, uh, this, thing, this vineyard because uh, even if uh, he produced before in Bonardi, he wanted to try again in Pronotto to see how he could do. So it took a while for arriving to, to an end. Then in 61, he was helped because of the vintage, because in 61 it's been a gorgeous vintage, a very big vintage, and he was uh, convinced to start with a, a, an explosive uh, year. And in 61, he decided to produce a crew wine for all the wine he was producing, not only Barolo and Barbaresco, but Barbera, Nebbiolo, Freisa. And when he decided with which crew starting, he didn't decide not only because that Monte Stefano or Bussia or Canube were the best. 
Of course, they were the best, but then the second reason was that a crew wine has to maintain the characteristic and improve much more than all the other wine. Not only a question of good wine, very good wine, but a good wine that can last for a long, long time, much more than another one, can age much better. What was the style of production at Pronoto in the 60s? Perché la vinificazione è una sola, è la durata della vinificazione e la temperatura della vinifica. Quindi bisogna vedere che la durata non sia troppo lunga perché estrai troppo tannino, assorbi un po' del colore dell'uovo. For my father, everything is very, very easy. So <laughs> the vinification is very, very simple things because maceration doesn't have to last too much long. And the most important thing is the temperature that doesn't have to rise over 30 degrees. And he said that the one of the worst vintage he had to vinify was exactly 61. Because in 61, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of temperature outside. Uh, there were few not a big amount of, uh, of grape, that means uh, so a lot of sugar, a lot of sugar means a lot of alcohol. And uh, even that outside, the temperatures were very high, they were harvesting at the 30 degrees. And the, the grapes arrived already at the temperature that was uh, useful to make the fermentation. So he had to handle these things in this way. The grapes were harvested only early in the morning, brought to the winery in, uh, in a cool area and uh, in the shadow. And, uh, and they stayed uh, before being crushed until the day after. But for cooling down anyway, because the temperature were not going to her low, because they were not uh, temperature controlled uh, like, uh, like, like today, he had, uh, there was a, a, an industry in Alba producing uh, ice, and they brought uh, tons of ice in the cellar. The ice was put in a plastic bag, and the plastic bag were put inside the fermenting uh, vats, for cooling down the, the temperature and, and starting not from 30 degrees, but for arriving maximum 30 degrees of fermentation. And for all the harvesting, he was doing in this way. At the end, the result was the one expected by my father. But at the end of the harvesting, he said that to himself, I'm very stupid, I'm so stupid, because instead of using the normal ice, I could use a synthetic ice. But he was not thinking about that because he didn't know why. <laughs> So like a dry ice. The dry ice, exactly. Were there different approaches in the region in terms of winemaking? Was it very diverse in terms of the way that people were making wine? Or did you find that there was a normal consistency in terms of production? Ma perché una delle cose, non principali, ma negative, che fermentando a quelle temperature eccessive c'era il rischio, evidente il rischio reale, che il vino diventasse semiaceto, che la volatile partisse. E quindi nel 61, nonostante l'annata buonissima... In 61 there has been a great difference between one and the other. There, there has been, even if it has been a great vintage, a gorgeous vintage, there, there were a, a lot of wine that went uh, in a bad way because the, the technique were not existing. So some, one of the, the most clever or the most, uh, you don't know, most... Uh, uh, approachable um, producer were able to do something new uh, or because they were harvesting in the right moment uh, 
they could get, have great wine, but a lot part of the wine went to in, into a vinaigrette because uh, uh, during the fermentation, the, the alcohol turned in a bad way. And uh, so the problem was that they were not, generally speaking, the knowledge for dealing these things in the right way. Were there other people in the area or in the community that you spoke with and learned from and, or admired and watched and learned from? Ma in quel periodo là ognuno faceva, faceva per proprio conto, non andava a, a spiegarsi con l'altro. It was exactly the opposite. At the time everybody was by himself and if, they, if someone knew something more, locked into the winery. <laughs> in the 1960s you began with other people to codify the Barolo zone and the subregions into the DOC, into the Appalachian law with the government. And what was that process like, and how did it begin, and who was involved? La partenza è stata fatta ancora negli anni prima dell'ultima guerra, perché nel Barolo, la delimitazione della zona del Barolo è stata fatta nel 1936. In the Barolo era, uh, all this uh, legislation system, without talking about legislation, started in 1936, so before the war, the Second War. No, perché c'era già tutto un, un pensare, un desiderio, un qualcosa da andare avanti. There already was an idea of starting and putting down some law, some rules about, uh, about these things. La delimitazione è stata fatta, anche ben fatta, diciamo approssimativamente, e... Però si è fermata lì perché col cataclismo della guerra tutto fermo. Quando è finita la guerra allora si è ripresa in mano con la volontà di andare avanti. L'idea di mettere down le regole, in particolare per il Barolo, starting very early. And the rules put down in the 30s were very well done. Then everything was stopped because of the, of the war. After the, the war, all the things have been taken again uh, on the table. But there was a big, big, big deal, in particularly with the, with the farms, because the farms uh, that were not producing the wine, they didn't care any, anything about producing in a certain way or in another way. Uh, so uh, the, the limitation of, of the area was something difficult, but not so much. The most important and most difficult point was the, the limitation of the yield, because at the time, also because in the area that was very, 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 very poor, uh, cutting the production would mean uh, having less to eat in a certain way. Uh, explaining that uh, a lower yield means a higher quality and that the higher quality is uh, paid more than uh, more grape is something, is, a, is, a, is an idea that was very difficult to pass through, very, very difficult. Who did you collaborate with to make these rules? Was it a community decision or were there certain people that really took the lead? Non è stata declassata niente e tutto è stato regolarizzato. Però c'era il rischio dell'anno dopo, 
At the time, the things were very much easier than now. We're not hundreds uh, of thousands like today of uh, enologists working in the area. So the major of Alba called the, the three or four people, uh, enologists, uh, that they were more renowned in, the, in, in Alba for making like a, a group of technicians for giving suggestions. And their, uh, their idea, their suggestion were more important <laughs> than the written rules. This is why my, uh, my father, with other few people, were in charge of uh, helping in writing down. Because they, first of all, because uh, they had the, the knowledge. Second, because they, there had been chosen people with the, they were considered uh, serious. Pronoto was known for selling to new markets abroad. What was going on at the winery that it was felt that it was important to sell outside the region, and what was that like? E poi poco alla volta è aumentata, è aumentata e siamo arrivati adesso. E purtroppo adesso la questione dell'esportazione è complicata da un mucchio di leggi, disposizioni relative. Yes, not was exported in many, many places around the world, but just in few, few battles, because exporting all together in the same place, 120 battles, was something unusual. And uh, there were few producers in Alba, maybe you can count on the two hands, <laughs> uh, they were exporting. So it was not the problem of uh, being competition with some, somebody else. Then little by little things changed, and now we are in a situation today in which we are all competitors, because if we should leave... Uh, with what we sell in Italy, uh, we would all shut down yesterday, not today, <laughs> unfortunately for us. For my father, uh, uh, as he said, uh, he reminds uh, different places where Pronotto was exporting, and uh, he's still looking after a, a special uh, export that was previewed for doing in, uh, in Lavana, a Lavana, of San Barolo Canubi 45, Barolo Canubi that... Uh, were not exported because a uh, cutter arrived before the, the shipment was made, and it is still in the hand of the nephew of Pronotto and in Alba, so in Alba. And so he's looking, still looking for having one of these uh, battles for reminding uh, these <laughs> two these things and these uh, very strange uh, export. Pronotto made three single crew Barolos, the Canubi the Busia and the Ganestra, and then in Barbaresco, Montestefano and Rabaya. And what was your experience of those crews? Perché il crew va visto in funzione di quello che tu vuoi ottenere. Vuoi un vino di lungo invecchiamento e allora vai a Busia. Vuoi un vino di breve invecchiamento, vai a Cannubi. Non vai da un'altra parte, vai lì. Nel barbaresco, voglio un barbaresco di, da bere giovane, vai a Rabaia. Voglio un barbaresco che invecchi molto. In his idea, he, he chose these different places for producing the barbaresco and the barolo only for having the choice between 
two wines or three wines of a high quality, but with a different approach, more or less approachable. For a very long, long aging, uh, you take a Barolo Busia. If you want a wine to drink earlier, you take a Canubi. And the same for uh, Rabaya, which is uh, drinkable earlier than uh, Montestefano. In these ideas, not a question of uh, having two different uh, crews, sure, uh, not a different quality, different uh, approach in the ear, different uh, aging uh, capacity. And was the winemaking the same across the crews, or did the winemaking vary for the different vineyards? Qualcosa di più come invecchiamento, poi invecchiarlo, cioè non invecchiarlo, fermentarlo due o tre giorni di più. È la stessa con leggere modifiche, un po'. More or less. Non è il Padre Eterno che ha detto che ho fatto così. More or less is the same. Maybe if you want a wine that uh, can uh, age a little bit more, you uh, make a fermentation of two days more, but not big, not big deal. And in terms of working the vineyards or in sourcing the fruit, what was important when you picked the fruit of Canubi versus Ginestra or Busia? What was important in your mind handling that fruit? L'uva va maturo. E quindi quando va maturo, va maturo. Bisogna aspettare che sia maturo. Avere la forza, la, la convinzione di dire aspettiamo ancora tre giorni, otto giorni, una settimana. E questo è il valore della vendemmia. Perché se non è maturo, non è maturo. Quindi tutti che stiamo lì a pretendere delle cose impossibili. No, no, la, la vendemmia va fatta. The important thing is always harvest in the right moment when the, when the, the vine is ripe. When the grape is ripe, at the maximum, is really ripe, you have to harvest. Not the day before, not the day after. So it's not a question because if you want an older wine or a younger wine, uh, and, and the most important thing, again, to him is to touch the grape because even now, I, I tell you, even if he didn't say, even now that he cannot see any, anything, and, he, and of course he cannot see the grape, he wants to go into the vineyard for touching the grape, for touching the, 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 the skin, for taking uh, the, the berries. Because also, in the, in the way that you take away the, the berries, even if you cannot see the, the jack, the red or not, you can understand if, the, in particular, the Nebbiolo is ripe or not. Io le racconto ancora un fatto capitato proprio pochi giorni fa. Il cru è una cosa molto strana, molto non semplice da capire, da, da gestire, perché a parlare di cru è facile. E, ci sono dei vini, delle terre, delle zone in cui l'uva matura molto bene, tutto posto, da un vino robusto. He's trying to explain his idea of cru. So Cru is not only, as he said, a specific area in which you produce a great wine, because he's saying that not only a place, a vineyard, that produces a wine with backbone, strengthness, power, means to me, for him, that is a, a crew wine. For me, a crew wine, the, last, the most important thing, the hat that covers all the rest, is the elegance, the balance, but in particular the elegance, the velvety. So, for giving an idea, Serra, for him, Serra Lunga is a place where there are great, gorgeous Barolo, wonderful Barolo, but not Barolo for making a crew. This is why there was, he, now he's explaining uh, something uh, happened in 67, in which he produced uh, 
a great wine buying different uh, vineyards in, in Serra Lunga, like Vineyard de Onda, like other area, but then vinified all together and put on the label Barolo Serra Lunga for identifying that the wine was a great wine coming from that area, that is important to say, not just a Barolo, but saying a Barolo from Serra Lunga, but not from a specific uh, vineyard. It was a blend of different great areas because to him was a great, gorgeous wine, but not really the top, but this, of course, is a personal test. Allora, cosa capita? Che il giorno che imbottigliavo quel barolo lì, passa nella mia cantina, e lì da varia, di nome lo conosce almeno, o anche di vista, non so, la guido di Costiglione. This is a long tale that uh, started in 67 and ended up a few weeks ago because I, I was one of the, the witness uh, and uh, <laughs> that tried this wine because in 67, as we, we were saying about this uh, Barolo Serra Lunga, that put on the label from different vineyards, when he was uh, battling the Barolo Serra Lunga, one of the most renowned uh, restaurator of the era, Guido di Costigliole, was passing by in the, in the winery, and uh, my father took one of the bottles and gave it to him without saying anything. Just take it home, take it home and tr try it, without saying it's a Barolo, it's a Barbe, nothing. He tried the wine, he liked, liked it a lot, and he wanted to buy a, a huge amount of the wine because he asked for buying 4,000 bottles. And 4,000 bottles from a, a restaurateur is not a big, it's a huge amount of wine at that time and now again, maybe, maybe worse. So he delivered the wine only one year after because before he said, okay, you pay now, but I, won't, I don't deliver it to you because the wine come out, uh, exit from the winery at least one year after bottling, not before. So you want to pay now, you pay now. You want to pay in a year, you will pay in a year, but uh, next year I will deliver the wine. And for all the time he was uh, pouring the wine at the restaurant, every time he met my father was uh, uh, talking about in a wonderful way about the wine. At a certain moment, when a few bottles remained in the, in the private cellar, he told to my father, I won't go into to sell it anymore. It's just for our private consumption or for special clients. Then, unfortunately, both uh, Guido and, the, and the, the wife died. The songs moved from Costigliole and now they are in Fontana Fredda. And a few days ago, they uh, putting uh, in order the cellar, they found out two bottles, the, the last two bottles of this Arolo Serra Lunga 67. And so they organized a special lunch for us and invited us. And the important things were not the courses, but the men, because they were all old bottles from Prunotto. And the last one was this Barolo Serra Lunga 67. That was still a gorgeous wine and still very young. And my father was a little scared because after so many years, you, you never know, you also the, the core can be a problem. But the wine was gorgeous, but even in this way, he's still saying again that it's a great wine, but not with the finesse for being a single crew like he thinks a crew should be. But was gorgeous. One of the things that you succeeded well at was not just Barolo and Nebbiolo, but other grape varieties like Dolcetto, Barbera and Freysia. And 
when you handled those grape varieties, what were some of the keys for you in terms of doing a great job in the bottle? Bisogna pretendere da un vino che non li vecchia, tipo il Fresa, di fare un vino di lungo invecchiamento. Il Barbera può essere di lungo invecchiamento, ma deve avere una... Per esempio, io conosco una Barbera solo nel mondo, nel mondo, che invecchia tantissimo, ed è una cosa stupenda, è piano molto, che nessuno la conosce, ma c'è, capito? You see, and dealing all the grapes for what they are. You just don't have to expect or to uh, pretend uh, what a variety cannot give you. Like for a Fraser, you have to deal not in a bad way or for the Lucetto, not in a bad way, but in the right way for being a wine, not for long, long aging like a Barolo Barbaresco. Then anyway, you can have some Barbera, a, some Dolcetto from specific area that can age very well. And... Uh, for the Barbera, he was uh, in love and is still in love with the Barbera that is almost unknown, but is a wine for long, long aging. And it was one of the wine of that uh, meal a few weeks ago. It's the Barbera Pian Romualdo, which ages in a gorgeous way. And for the Dolcetto, also depending on the producing area. And he's saying that, for instance, this vineyard here in Alba, in Cascina Drago, we have here, not in the lower part, but in the upper part, a, a vineyard of Dolcetto, that is something that uh, unusual and no, uh, impossible to recognize like a dolcetto, but because of the soil, the altitude, can give you an incredible dolcetto that you don't recognize for a dolcetto. So there are some places that can give to the, to the variety unusual characters. But anyway, you normally, generally speaking, you, you have to, to adapt to the variety, asking the best of what that variety can give you. So in the 80s in Barbaresco, you convinced a grower to drop fruit and do more thinning to improve the crop. And what was that experience like and what was that discussion like? Già in parte, molto, molti anni prima. Però c'era un handicap. E allora, chi produceva l'uva era il contadino che la vendeva alla cantina. E di tutto, era difficile far convincere il contadino a, a buttare giù dell'uva perché non prendeva tutti i soldi, cioè più o meno era così. Quindi c'è andato del tempo a fargli entrare nella testa che la selezione dell'uva e, e non tutti lo accettavano perché c'erano le persone più intelligenti e quelle più meno intelligenti. It was a big deal, it was a really great, great big deal because even if the, the growers or grape growers were were trusting him, all the, all the growers were trusting him, but accepting to cut down the production was very, very difficult. Someone, even with uh, a little bit scared, were doing that because they were really trusting him. Some other didn't want to do that, and some other were copying him because it was very difficult to pass the message that uh, cutting down 10%, 15% of the production would uh, mean to earn 30 40% more money was very, very difficult to, to make people understand that. But because of that, because the, the places here was very poor, the people were very poor, and they were scared by these things, and they were scared by, by the news. Little by little, years after years, uh, you know, that he was doing, asking to do that to the grower that they were giving to him the, the grapes. The neighbor were looking at them like, uh, 
crazy people for the first year, for the second year, and then little by little they are accepting and they were coping. And now almost all the producers of grape are doing that because it's necessary. When you look back over your entire career, what are the parts that you, you feel most proud of having achieved? For me, the selection for sure, the selection of the crew he did. There are other things, of course, not only that, but this is the most important because of something that was a, a point from which a lot of other people started making, and that will be remain for always, not only for him, because it started a new world. When you look at the region, what has surprised you the most about the changes in the region since the 40s? From his point of view, there has been an awful changement, maybe a little bit too, too much uh, fast. Uh, because uh, things before the things were moving, uh, it took really a while, long, long time. Then little by little, things started to change, but too fast. And in the wine uh, sector, in the wines area, you cannot change things one year after the other. So sometimes people, uh, it's good that uh, starting changing their mind because before they were too much stopped, too much uh, standing still. But now maybe people uh, in the last year changing too much their mind and without a line, just changing from one side to the other, like, like the wind, like with the wind, without a, a project. And when you do like that, you, the, the point is that make, maybe you can make big mistakes. So he doesn't see this general idea. What is, he's a little bit um, uh, suffering of, of this. Uh, looking at the vinification, looking at the winemaking of today, he sees a little bit too much attachment to the money, first of all, and then uh, too much following the, um, the, the trends and uh, changing too much fast. There should be much more a project, a program. So when I look back at the history of the region, some of the most famous names of the 1950s are no longer in business. And obviously there's been generational change, but do you think that there are other challenges that presented themselves that some of the old and and sometimes most prestigious wineries no longer exist in the region? Affari che sono andati male, cioè mancata di soldi. È impossibile classificare il perché. Sono tanti perché, ognuno ha il suo perché. E meno male che è così, perché se nessuna azienda scomparisse, there were different reasons because uh, the biggest and most famous uh, winery of the 50s uh, doesn't exist anymore uh, because of the, of the new generation that decided to do another job because, of course, in, in the past, the, 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 the new generation uh, were not uh, so attached to the, to the, to the vineyard, to the, to the land like, uh, like now. Uh, in, in Italy I'm talking about, because in France it was completely different. Uh, and uh, he also said that in a certain way, 
it's good that there has been this challenge because otherwise there wouldn't be any places for new new winery and new new producer. So your career has basically spanned the second half of the 20th century, which was a time that was very important for the Barolo and the region as a whole, I think, for many reasons. But when you look back over that period of time and those vintages, what were the vintages that really stood out for you? One is 61. È l'annata più grande del secolo, stata la più difficile del secolo a vinificare. 61, because it's been one of the greatest in the in the sense, maybe the greatest, but one of the worst to vinify. Very difficult. E qualcosa si è salvato, si è fatto ottimo, grande, eccetera, ma poteva essere tutto a quel livello lì. Purtroppo le cose non sono andate così perché perché non c'era l'attrezzatura, non c'era la preparazione. And it's a pity that in 61 could have been a, the greatest vintage of the century and it has, hasn't been because of the moment, because they were poor of knowledge and poor of money. So there were no technicians, but uh, even some technicians exi- were existent, but there was no money for getting the technician. So it's a pity that uh, there could be much more good wine as uh, there was. È risultata migliore di quella che, che poi non era grande, ma si presupponeva peggio ancora, è stato il 67. Il 67 durante la vendemmia sembrava quasi da doverla buttare via. Poi alla fine si è ancora salvata ed è diventata discreta. Allora ti accontenti perché aspettavi di meno, ma non sei contento. 67 is another vintage that there was a good wine in the sense it was not a very good in quality but uh, much better or what were the expectation so it was a good result for the expectation no dagli anni 90 in poi le, il clima è cambiato perché non è che stiamo lì a dire noi facciamo il vino facciamo tutto quello che vuoi ma se non c'è il battito eterno che ti dà l'andata giusta il grande vino non lo the only thing is that we have a line that divides the, the wine before and after are the 90s because of the weather, because the weather changed. So from the 90s coming up, coming up to until now, we have better vintage and much more good vintage after one after the other because the weather has changed. It has nothing to do with us. It's to do with the, with the good God, with the good God and with the, with the weather. And, uh, and now, while before we were expecting, we were praying for having a good vintage, uh, now we are too much well used to. So we are, as I say, looking for the, the perfection. And so we are comparing if... Uh, 91 is better than 90, maybe because it's a little half, uh, half a degree is better. And uh, now he, he say he doesn't like this way of judging the, the wine in the vintage. Pepe Cola has seen many, many vintages in Piemonte in Italy. Thank you very much for being here today. Non è colpa mia. It's not his fault. <laughs> Pepe Cola for many years was the winemaker and co-owner at Prunotto and an advisor also later at Poderi Cola in the Piemonte. Grazie a lei. Thank you very much. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. 
Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening. Before we go, I'd like to extend a personal thank you to the Vara family of Barolo, who were instrumental in making this interview with Beppe Cola a reality for everyone to listen to.